put some cap on it, however big range you want. I just don't, I mean, north of a thousand could be 10 million. I don't, I don't just put yeah. some cap. So uh, it is, it is not 10 million, uh, but it's a, a substantial amount uh, and it's uh, not a thousand. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hello, everybody. My guest today is Dennis Mortensen. He is an expert in leveraging data to solve enterprise use cases and a serial entrepreneur who successfully exited several companies on that theme. His long-term vision of killing the inbox led to the formation of X.AI. Many of you have probably seen Amy and Andrew in your inboxes. This is that guy, artificial intelligent assistants who schedule meetings. He speaks frequently to anyone who'll listen from the crowds of Web Summit to his building's doorman about an optimistic future for AI productivity and the future of work. Dennis, you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right. So uh, let me let me jump in first. It, is Amy working? That's a good question. Are you working? So if you're asking me whether there's ambiguity in that of asking some agent to do some job, you're absolutely right. As in, ask a human to drive from my place to your place, there is some risk that we'll see an accident. If you ask a human to schedule a meeting, there is some risk that, you know what, she forgot that summertime starts a little early in London versus the U.S. And if you ask a machine to do the same, you're probably likely, given that we train the machine, to see some of that ambiguity end up in the machine agent. However, the funny thing is that machine agents tend to be very good at the things that you and me are kind of not so good at and sometimes stumble on things you and me might think of as common sense. Having said that, we are setting up hundreds of thousands of meetings and this being one of them. So we're certainly in, uh, in very good shape. But then again, we've been in that basement for the last five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, I, 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 people have asked me about kind of automation and stuff like this. We've had Gavin on many times with acuity scheduling. You just saw his exit to, to Squarespace, which you could argue is again, the, the old way, kind of the human way of scheduling meetings. But like, even when I booked this meeting with you and Amy replied, we couldn't, we, we try our people. Cause I went and read the thread before this. We couldn't figure out how to tell Amy, you have to use our link because it's based off studio time and she can't click the link and then book. She kept saying, here are our scheduled times, pick a time. And they never aligned. And we like, it was so, it gets so frustrating or some people, some people will try and be coy about it. And they'll say, here's Amy, my assistant to help you. And I'm like, listen, I know this is automated. We've emailed like 7,000 times now. I'm not going to keep talking to your robot. How do I get out of this? And it is so frustrating and actually makes me feel ill will sometimes towards that CEO. Like, how do you solve these? By the way, I'm only focusing on the negatives. There's a lot of positives too, but like, how do you solve and round out these negatives, these edges? So I think there's certainly very little debate on whether that of setting up a meeting is a real pain or not. So you and me, through your example, have just agreed that we kind of not really like to set up meetings. We like this though, you yeah. and me chatting, that's the fun part. Having it set up, we don't really care whether it's Monday at one, Monday at nine, Tuesday at 10, they're all equally good. So if we can somehow escape that chore it is of setting up a meeting, that would just be wonderful. And I think what we're seeing right now 
is some group of prior solutions for where you are now somewhat outsourcing part of the pain to the guest as saying, hey, please go click my link. And if you'll be so kind and just apply a little bit of effort and be okay with that, we can get the whole thing kind of solved with certainly some total less pain. What we've tried to do is to kind of come up with some sort of solution for where we could potentially cater a little bit more to the guest for where you can just reply back in natural language and say, I can't do next week, but I can do some afternoon the week thereafter. Or you know what? Let's do this in person. I'll be in Manhattan in first week of July. Mm -hmm. Now, that is obviously awesome because that means we're kind of flipping it ever so slightly. So the guests should be happier. What you describe is what if we have competing agents as in you have one solution, I have another one. Mm -hmm. Our solution doesn't have the intelligence to pick up some link in some text, visit that website, look at it through the eyes of, say, something like a human, and figure out, I should probably click one of these links and determine from what I see what time we can meet. That is uh, just above and beyond what is feasible today. So that is certainly a conflict. What I would like, though, is for our agents to be able to kind of follow some of those links. Because that means now we can kind of cross barriers and that would be uh, be awesome. But I think without me going all geek on you, what is really the question is whoever gets to build the bigger network first is probably going to end up having some sort of advantage because if you and me both used Amy or Andrew, neither you nor me would have to do anything. We can just say shit like, hey, can you get us together for 15 minutes on Skype later tomorrow afternoon? As you click send, it is already agreed upon because Amy works for both of us. So that we certainly see happening internally for all sorts of meetings for where of, hey, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the counter to that is like I pulled I pulled up a couple of examples here because it's like, you know, a guy at Ben Holloway who's in the private equity space, really wanted my data. Said, Nathan, great to hear from you. Happy to have a call sometime next week. I'm and this is what he said. I'm reading. I'm copying in, I'm CCing in Amy, who will help us find some time to speak. Look forward to chatting. Best Ben. Amy, which is your thing, pops in and you can tell, you know, does Monday, May first at eleven PD work? Alternately, Ben is available on Monday and Tuesday. I then replied back, Tuesday works. But like, they it didn't, Amy didn't realize I was accepting her Tuesday recommendation and said, hey, Nathan, thanks for letting me know. Would Tuesday work? <laughs> ben is also available on Tuesday at a different time. So like, it was, and then I wrote back, I eventually just said, Ben, these automated bots are a terrible strategy. You can see why below. I'm going to pass on having the call with you. Best of luck. And I literally just, and I just stopped. And like, I can't do this because there's no way to re-engage him. Right. So, so I just wonder, like, I just think the negative brand value around that is so big. I don't see how something like Amy, like, like this gets to the point where everyone is using it, where you get to this Nirvana you talk about. So we certainly, so I'm, uh Four plus years in, Amy and Andrew have set up about 3,500 meetings for me. Okay. And it takes about eight emails for every meeting, about three and a half on each side. In uh-huh. general, if two people are trying to negotiate it, I said, you and me have no software attached to what we do. Yeah. So that means there's some 20,000 odd emails that do not exist in my life. So I'm obviously not even happy. I'm fucking ecstatic. I said, I can do exactly what you described outsource a little chore. And what happens in the vast majority of cases is that people will say, yeah, I can't do tomorrow, Dennis, but I can do uh, 
the day after, I can do next Wednesday, or I can do one o'clock, but not two o'clock. And that is great. Does that mean that we don't have a snafu here and there, given that language is not a solved science? Sure we do. But Dennis, we you can measure, we can measure it. I might be overblowing this because the number that would measure the down, what you're talking to me, which is fine, is all about the upside. This many emails saved, et cetera. You can calculate, I'm sure you have the data, how many times an x.ai email has been introduced, copied in to a conversation and no meeting resulted. So, and, and my question is, what's that number relative to how many successful meetings have been set up? So a good example here to give you some metrics, the year before I started X.AI, I did 1,019 meetings, probably uh, a little less than you, who might be completely batshit crazy in your calendar because I saw a screenshot of it earlier today. So in, in that regard, I might just be normal. But of 1,019 meetings, would I set up? manually at 11 p.m. in my underwear, and I sure. fucking hated it. 672 got rescheduled. Mm -hmm. That is just uh, the natural rate of meetings that I have planned that for some reason got rescheduled. Yep. Like this meeting got rescheduled because you and me kind of had a little snafu on time zone or whatever, and that's fine. But I'm, I'll move a one-on-one, -on -one, a customer comes in. So a ton of meetings are being rescheduled. And that's probably where I think we are even better because I actually don't mind when people reschedule with me anymore because my agent takes over. But now. Dennis, do you have the number well, where X.AI has been copied in and there is no meeting confirmed after some amount of time? So we have certainly a count of meetings that end up being surrendered. They can be surrendered for uh, many reasons. Say yeah. uh, you reach out to me and- No, no, we all know. I totally get it. We all know yeah, the you reasons. Want, you, you, want, you want to sell me something- and you know what? I don't want to buy something. Yeah, one hundred percent. Just ignore it. No, yeah. no. What I'm trying to measure is the amount of times what happened to me happens across your platform, oh, where it is so, so frustrating. I just give up and say, like, screw it. So, so we pick up on that level of uh, frustration. But just to kind of give you perhaps a better measure, so eighty-three percent, which was the last count I looked at, of all the meetings that we do are rated five stars. As in, we apply the option for people to rate the dialogue. I think that's and, fine though, Dennis, but that I, I totally believe that. I'm sure it's a great experience, but I'm talking about when they weren't oh, scheduled at all. Oh, ex exactly. What I'm saying is in, in that regard, that's certainly what we see that the vast majority are ending up successful when they don't end up successful. The funny thing is what you describe is actually not what we see that often. It is when the threat length goes beyond a certain inflection point. So what we tend to optimize on is to shorten the threat length, as in, what is the minimum amount of emails or the least amount of communication which I can do with you to get the meeting on the calendar? Because the less we have to talk, the better we tend to be off, yeah. right? As in, can you do next Wednesday at one? If I can make a prediction for where be a good time, that'll be awesome. For you can just say, sure, let's do that. Yeah. So that is the vast majority. Yeah, by the way, I, I love, I get the product, by the way. I, I would yeah. love for it to, I mean, I, I love what you're trying to build. I'm just trying, I mean, these are just edge cases we're talking about. So, hey, we beat this to death for yeah. 10 minutes. We only have 15. So I want to dive into some more of your story here. Um, if someone's listening right now and they have never heard of XDA, they want to start using, what's the average customer paying you per month for the tool? 10 bucks. Okay, 10 bucks. So good. Anyone can really get started. You launched, you yeah. said four years ago, so 2014? Yeah. So we spent the first three years in the basement running a free beta given the kind of complexity of what we're trying to solve here, where it's very easy to imagine, but uh, as you just described, 
solving language is uh, pretty fucking hard. It's really difficult. Uh, and started kind of charging for it a good year back. Yep. Okay. So about a year and a half ago, you started charging. And how many customers have you scaled to today? That is not public. But again, setting up hundreds of thousands of meetings. But to give you some scope here, there's about 10 billion formal meetings being set up in the US alone every year. So anybody in this space is really at the beginning. No, and I totally get. I get. I get all that. Stuff. I get. The, I totally listen. I, I I followed Gavin's story close. I follow you can. I mean, there's probably ten companies in the booking space that are doing more than five million bucks in ARR. So like, I totally get what you're playing in. But I want to yeah. focus on you. So if you don't want to give me a specific number, can you give me a range? Like more or less than a thousand customers or some big range you're oh, comfortable yeah. Yeah, with? Yeah, much more than that. Okay, can we say between a thousand and five thousand? Is that fair? You can pick. Uh, it's not a public number, so uh, I'll well, just to kind of just some put love. some put some cap on it. However big range you want, I just don't. I mean, north of a thousand could be ten million. I don't. I don't. Just put yeah. some cap. So uh, it is. It is not ten million, uh, but it's a, a substantial amount, uh, and it's uh, not a thousand. Okay. So, uh, By the way, if your argument is that the more people are on it, the more valuable it is, wouldn't you want to be putting your customer count number out there as far and wide as you possibly can? I, I absolutely would. I do think that we are just on the verge of having solved all of the items so that I would want to just drive up growth at all cost. But think of us like a Waymo. At one point, do you just put cars on the road? You probably need to get to some level of confidence in your self-driving car before you say, you know what? Let's plaster Manhattan with self-driving cars. And we're kind of in the same setting where we feel- No, you're very different. Because if you believe that, you wouldn't charge. You've put a massive, a massive paywall. I mean, you've put a paywall. Waymo is free because they're going after a massive prize. If you thought this was truly a massive prize, you would not put up a $10 paywall if you wanted more usage. Uh, So that is, I think, compared to any other consumer product for where it's all about whether you get the next customer, I would agree. Remember, when I schedule a meeting, I get two things. Obviously, I have a product in market. I might even be so good at it that I can charge for it. But I also get a data input. The worst thing that can happen right now is that I start to pollute my data set because I think I have everything solved. So we are extremely protective about that data set. So when you say something to Amy and that ends up being labeled and annotated in our data set, I need to make sure that that is true and honest. We are now just at the inflection point for where we believe we have enough confidence in the data that we have for where we'll be less sensitive to what uh, arrives tomorrow. Okay, so I'm not gonna push harder. I'm not sure that I agree with that, but but we'll, we'll move on. So uh, you launched in 2014, um, the, uh, you build for a couple of years, you turned the paywall on about a year and a half ago. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me about growth channel. So where did you go to get your first 100? It's something to get a, maybe a freemium plan, but where did you get your first kind of 100 paying customers? What channel did you use? So uh, first, I can start just rewinding a little bit. So first kind of 50 beta testers was just friends of mine, right? The usual kind of, hey, Guys, I know you don't have an assistant, and I'm sure I can kind of help you out here, start using it. So that was certainly how I built up that initial pool. Their use of the product kind of brought the next 400. And that kind of gave me that kind of 500 people actively kind of using the product, which was friends and friends of friends. Yeah. Then we ran a pretty successful kind of wait list as we were kind of working that very initial MVP, which was certainly not uh, robust enough to be a chargeable product in market. And on that, we ran up hundreds of thousands of people on that uh, wait list simply because there was a grand lust to remove this chore. 
How, how also, when did you launch the waitlist? What year and how many years did it take you to hit hundred thousand on the waitlist? We did that the first year. So we launched that probably in mid 2015, okay. something like that. And then ran to kind of robust six figures, uh, over the next, uh, year, year and a half. And then we started to kind of roll into that, uh, Paid. First kind of commercial version, yes. So how did you decide who to start showing a paywall to to test that strategy? I, I assume it was usage-based. What, what was the usage threshold? Uh, so we the, here's the funny thing. So we surveyed about 5,000 people to kind of find that initial price. We got it wrong, uh, and I could have told myself that. But then again, if you ask people, would you like to pay? Yeah. Would you like to pay $39? Seems about right. Then when you put up your first kind of version at $39, people say, no, nah, I'm not willing to do that. So uh, we had kind of three iterations on price and kind of ended up on the right kind of $8 for that individual edition in uh, October of uh, last year. Mm -hmm. so, so that took us a little while. That first batch, we actually just tried to be nice and kind on those who signed up for the wait list first, started just in reverse order and just did them in batches. Oh, you went directly from waitlist to paid, mm -hmm. not waitlist usage paid? Straight waitlist to a page, yes. Interesting. That's different. Why would you, why would, how did you understand usage behaviors if if they were on a waitlist? So they weren't using the product, they were literally just spreading in attention and you said before you even use it, start paying eight bucks a month. So we, that is correct. Uh, we did have a very large beta population. So we had a very good understanding of what a user would look like and how they would behave and what a trial should encompass and how I could get them through a trial to be a paying customer. So certainly had a good idea of that. How many in the beta? Oh no. Just a I range. I don't remember. 50,000, something like that. Five zero thousand. Yeah. Okay. In beta. So maybe, so again, I guess my question would go back. You just went down. No, no, you didn't offer the paid plans to the beta list. You said you just went, you offered it to the wait list, not the beta list. Uh, we did both at the same time. So both okay. ran through our wait list and of course our beta users. If you went into your usage data on the 50,000 and beta and you sorted by most meetings successfully scheduled to least, you get a big, beautiful Excel chart. Your most active customers would be at the top, starting with you, right? And probably people yeah. on your team who do your testing. But then the next like 10, 20, 50 users can really reveal a ton in terms of like, you know, what you should price. Why did you not approach pricing that way versus just doing it based off time in the wait, waiting line app? Oh. So the surveys were based off of that. So all of the most kind of a fair distribution of customers, those that did a ton, those that did a few, but we had a high share of calendar. Because if you do six meetings and I do three for you, then I kind of own half your calendar. Yep, yep. If I do three for you, I don't own anything, right? So it was a fair distribution. And we interviewed about 5,000 of those to get a good idea of where we should kind of put ourselves in market, both on product tiers, individual features, what goes into what tier, and how to price it. But it took another two iterations to kind of get it right. Yeah, okay, interesting. All right, what if, so churn is critical in any SaaS company. What does your mm -hmm. churn look like, and how are you keeping that low? So churn is not public, but what I will say, though, is uh, this month and every month over the last 19, 20 months have been better than the month before. So I'm in a very... Uh, respectable range. I think I can do slightly better, but uh, very respectable. I'm actually super happy about it because when we started out, it was, to be honest, hand on heart, uh, not so good. 
Remote teams are all the rage right now. In fact, many companies want to stay this way, even post-pandemic. And the reasoning's obvious. Hiring talent from anywhere in the world means you can bring on better talent. But the challenges are very real. How do you manage employees in other countries legally and easily? What about international payroll, employee benefits? What are taxes like in countries that are far away from where you're based? You need to understand all of this, including local paperwork and local compliance for all your remote employees. Now, two of the most successful remote companies, both GitLab and Zapier, have reached multi-billion dollar valuations, and they use a special tool, a secret portal, I like to call it, at remote.com. Remote's platform is easy to use for full-time employees, contractors, and your HR team. They help you scale your international team, your remote team, at a price you can afford. Now look, when I sign up sponsors, you guys know I like to get a great deal for our listeners. Otherwise, we won't run the sponsorship. Well, Remote has delivered. Sign up today and receive a 50% discount off your first employee for the first three months. Check out NathanLatka.com forward slash remote and enter promo code LATKA to get started. That's NathanLatka.com forward slash remote and promo code L-A-T-K-A. Check it out today before you miss out. Tell us where it was. Tell us how bad it was. Oh, I'll tell you about one particular moment in time. So on Jan 16th, 2017, 0800, we went from a setting for where we allowed override in the way we kind of did the meetings. So we had a set of people who helped kind of label the data and do an override if the prediction was incorrect. Kind of like having a... Uh, it's a human, safety- a human checking the automated software. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like I have a safety driver in the car, right? But on that day, which is now two years ago, we went to this fully automated mode, right? You take the safety driver out and you say, car, drive yourself. And you know what? I thought we were prepared. And we burned all the boats. And we did it at 8 o'clock in the morning, at 9 o'clock. It completely exploded. I say, that was the worst moment i think in our history for where we churned in that next couple of months a third of all our customers our whole customer base mm-hmm. as in we ramped up in a few months to seven figures in arr when we started charging for it i said kind of killed it as if i looked at any one of my prior ventures i actually really never kind of ramped up to seven figures at that rate what year then, was this 2017 yeah yeah jan 16 0800 EST, I remember. Uh, and we uh, we moved to this fully autonomous setting, and that was uh, dramatic. So, so Dennis, we're, kind of we're, double, double digits. We're, sure. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I mean, you got to experiment, though. So, yeah, I bet you learned yeah. a lot from that. Um, yeah. We're running low on time, and I, I want to understand a couple other metrics. So, don't talk about your yeah. own churn, but you mentioned word best in class. I mean, so in your kind yeah. of space at your price point, what do you consider best in class in terms of monthly churn? I wouldn't say we're best in class. I'm saying we're at a best ever rate for us. No, but ignore you. Sorry, I'm not talking about you because you don't want to reveal that data. You uh, and just what you know about the space and these kinds of price points and the kind of, what what would uh, you consider best in class? So I think you need really, uh, if you want to slowly move into the enterprise, be less than 2% month over month to be in some setting where you can have a, sober growth and so when like how many months or years do you think you need to like learn so you can get yours below that i'm very close okay you think you can do it this year 
Yeah. So keeping the bucket, obviously, with no holes is one thing, which is the gross churn number. The second is take historical cohorts and expand them. Do you have strong expansion, like pricing axes or no? Uh, Very strong. As in, just a quick reminder. So Zoom put out their S1 not that long ago. Who? They Zoom video communication. Zoom, yeah. Yeah, Zoom, the company, right? They stated that uh, 53% of all of their enterprise customers initially started as a single individual who just signed up and added their personal credit card. 53%. The funny thing, though, is that we're seeing the exact same thing, that more than half of all the customers that we get initially started as single individual users. So uh, VMware will turn up. It'll just be Kevin. He'll blink. All of a sudden, he'll add his team. He'll blink. We'll get another pocket. So our expansion is... uh, it's working out exactly as we had hoped for. So uh, that is a very strong uh, component of our growth strategy. What do you consider world-class net revenue retention? That is... Uh, like Zoom's at 140, right? Zoom was north of 140, which means their expansion more than made up for their so, churn. Yeah, I was about to say about, if you can double it, I think you're in very good territory. I think Zoom were killing it, uh, but the Zooms, the Slacks are in that territory. But if you can double it year over year, I think you are in... Uh, Best in class territory. Sorry, I'm not sure what you mean when you say double it. So you're if you if you're turning twenty four. Yeah, so north of hundred percent net revenue retention. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say that. But that's that's table stakes today, in my opinion. Um. So so how okay. do? You, yeah, I mean, okay. in my in my opinion, I mean, just based off the inter- I mean, we've done about three thousand, and sometimes I'll sort these interviews and look at that kind of stuff, and I just think yeah. probably best in class there. But look, my I guess my real question is, what pricing axes are you using? Is it literally number of seats on VMware? Is it yeah. feature based upselling, yeah. or is it so, some data usage? Straight seats. Okay. There comes a point, obviously, as you grow and you mature your enterprise offering, where you might slice it slightly differently. But for us right now, as we want to kind of grow the network, coming back to your prior comment, it's really all about seats for us. Yeah. Do you Does your expansion in terms of seats more than make up for your churn today? Are you at that 100 oh, yeah. mark? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very, very good. It sounds like you might be way north of that or no. North of that. Yeah. Well, okay. It depends on how you translate way. But uh, I, how I translate what? Way north, you said. We should uh, yeah, be north yeah. of that, yeah. Yeah, I would say way north would be, again, best in class 140 range. It sounds like you're between 100, 140. That's fine. Um, I'm surprised you haven't actually found, though, other pricing axes to upsell again. I mean, what's your team size today? How many people? Uh, so we are 70 in Manila and about 30 in New York. Okay, so 100 total. How many of them are salespeople? Not many. So we haven't built the enterprise sales team yet. We are ah, all really traditional growth. That so totally, ex- point, right? that totally yeah. explains why you don't have other axes to upsell against yet. You don't have salespeople going, Dennis, I want to hit my quota. I need more things to sell against, like number of meetings and other integrations. Yeah. So we have we have a small team and we're testing it. So Makes we certainly sense. pick up the phone. We do some of the calls and all of that. And that's fine. But I'm not running the kind of traditional team that you would usually put in place and we've done in our prior ventures. So we are at the beginning of that. Yep. And what's total raised at this point? I think you've raised something, right? Uh, about $40 million. Yeah, 40. And then, so I guess with that money, how aggressive are you willing to be on fully weighted CAC? Will you spend a full year one kind of ACV to get the customer or more or less? What do you like to come in at? So I tend to be quite comfortable once you have full understanding of it. I don't think I have yet an understanding that is so robust for where you could give me a dollar and I can tell you that in the other end comes $3.20. Because if I could do that, you know, you give me a, 
100 million dollars and then I can somehow turn that into more on the other side. I do think I'm getting close to have a robust understanding, but I tend to be generally very willing once all your metrics work out as you and I have talked about to inject as much as you can on one side. But I do still think I have some unknowns. Well, Dennis, but hold on. What you, what you just talked about is very different than what I asked. LTV to CAC ratios can be very healthy. A dollar in, $3 out would be a three to one, kind of a three, right? But what's yep. way more important is that if your churn is so low, your payback period could be yep. three years and you could still have a three to one LTV to CAC ratio. What's actually way more important is how to get the flywheel turning faster or you get the cash back faster. So my question is actually yep. a speed one, not a does the ratio work one. So a so one that's fair. So ratio, I think most people will be comfortable once they figure out how to get the ratio right. Because that's just they built something that is working. Then the speed one, I think, is just perhaps some level of willingness to risk on the certainty of the future playing out as you would hope for. I turn to be you know somewhat risk willing, given that you yeah. know what. It's just a startup. You shouldn't love anything that can't love you back. If somehow your predictions didn't play out, it's not the end of the world. That's so, what I'm asking, right? Is I'm trying to quantify yeah. that risk. So you're doing 10 bucks a month. I mean, we spend 120 bucks a month to get a new 100, sorry, 120 bucks one time to get a $10 a month customer. Yeah. You're yeah. totally fine with that. Yeah. That, I yeah. think that makes fine sense. All right. Um, and then I assume you're burning because you raised all the capital, right? You're investing in growth. Yes, we are. Yeah. Okay. As, as I say, your investors, I'm sure at the board meetings would not be happy if their money's just sitting in the bank doing nothing. Um, very good. And then um, any plans to raise capital here shortly? Last raise, I think, was what, over a year ago? Over a year ago, we might do something this year, but that is really a in-between milestone type raise. We're really waiting to kind of hit a certain inflection point, which is a set of internal metrics for where we go out and do what we believe is that kind of raise for the next milestone. What, us, what the next is the inflection, and not the actual hard number, but what is the what is the metric you're measuring that you believe is the inflection point? Is it number of meetings, book, number of users, an ARR target? Yes, some combination of actually those, certainly some slight elasticity attached to the ARR number, but okay. some number for where we can certainly suggest that we figured out how this works and there'll be a high belief of us being able to take X number and turn it into 10X of that number. Yeah. And then there's certainly a set of internal metrics, ones that we talked about as well, which is, have we figured out retention? Have we figured out kind of net expansion and so on and so forth? And I want to have all of those kind of in tune before we kind of go out and do that next milestone, because that'll be highly uh, dilutive as a uh, common shareholder. Sure, sure, of course. And then growth rate wise, so past 12 months, are you guys still north of, hopefully 100% if you're still small? Yeah. Seems about right. I mean, past 12 months, you've grown higher, more than 100% year over year growth. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I was thinking, thought you were talking about team. That was my that was my fault. No, no, no. In yeah. terms of actual no, no. ARR growth. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and, and then if you do decide to raise this year, let's say you hit your metrics, what, what is the right number to raise and how do you get to that number? What are, like, do you like to raise for 18 months of burn or 24 months of burn or is there something else driving that number? So I tend to at least try to come up with some plausible version of what is it I want to achieve within this milestone. Not so much how many months I have, but if I want to achieve some other set of metrics, what is the cost for me to achieve those? Then we can talk about the time I need to actually deliver on that. And I think there can be more kind of elasticity in that than just trying to kind of raise for my burn is X and I need 18X. 
Yeah. I mean, but this, the reason I'm asking is sometimes the negative and then we'll wrap up here in a second. We're way over, yeah. but I've enjoyed this conversation. Um, the, uh, it's sometimes a negative signal to the market when, right. Like your, your, your last raise was less than the raise before it. So you raised 10 million recently, but before that you'd raised 23 million, nine before that and two before that. Is that a negative signal to the market? And, and, and you know, what should, should people read into that at all? I think it depends on how you want to kind of run your milestones. And we all have different uh, opinions. I tend to be quite strict about delivering on the very goals that I've told everybody I want to deliver on within a given milestone. And if somehow I think I need a little bit of extra time, I don't certainly feel any uh, kind of penalty in just extending it. Yeah, yeah. So that's, so that's a bridge uh, round, basically. Yeah. Did you use debt so, or no? We have not used debt. Oh, you haven't. Oh, interesting. A lot of people will, will use, just avoid a down round or mm-hmm. dilution. They will use a bridge round of debt to to let them I'm get just, to. I, I'm I'm just generally a fan of the clarity that uh, equity provides, and that means we're always aligned. And sometimes uh, you, you win a little bit because you do. Days, uh, you know what? You get to lose a little bit uh, more than uh, you like because it kind of prefers the. Uh, the, uh, the investors, and that's fine. Yeah, it makes good sense. All right, let's wrap up here, Dennis, with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Favorite business book, I would say The Narrow Road by Felix Dennis. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? No, if I were to kind of pick anyone, I like Steve Ballmer. Yep. Number uh, three, what's your favorite online tool for building your business besides your own? Uh, yeah, you have to kind of put in that disclaimer for everybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like Gmail, to be honest. I'm an inbox zero kind of guy. Number four, how many hours of sleep you get every night? I have heavily expanded on that over the years. I used to be uh, the typical kind of entrepreneur for where, hey, fuck it, I'll do on my five hours. But uh, I get a good eight hours good. most nights. And what's your situation? Married, single kids? I am 24 years in, same woman. Amazing. Got two girls, sent the first one to college uh, a year ago, doing software engineering, by the way. So talk about selling. That's awesome. And uh, how old are you? I am 46. 46. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? That a lifelong career as an entrepreneur is a real viable path. And whatever happens, just enjoy the journey. The destination doesn't matter. You know what? Some days you make $10, some days you make 11, some days you lose five. It's all good. Just have fun doing it. Guys, Dennis from X.AI, that has been Amy and Andrew in your inboxes, helping with getting meetings scheduled with less email back and forth. Launched in 2014, $40 million raised today, team of 100 people or so. He's working to get, again, churn down to that 20, you know, what he considers best in class, 24% annually. But right now, his expansion is more than making up for all of his churn. So north of 100% net revenue retention, obviously a nice strategic place to be. In terms of CAC, totally willing to spend up to first year of ACV to get that customer in because he sees very strong expansion opportunities. Again, once that one team member comes into the company, maybe raises later this year if he hits some metrics they're looking at internally, but maybe not. We will see. Dennis, thanks for taking us to the top. This was fun. Cheers, mate.